This is Catholic Daily Brief. This week's episode, we're going to go more into what we talked about in yesterday's episode, the Friday episode, about religion and science. And I mentioned that the best evidence of the harmony between religion and science is seen in looking at the contributions that religious people, specifically Catholics, have made throughout the history of Western civilization and how much they've contributed in the various areas of learning. Just to give you some recommendations at the beginning of this episode, because most of these facts come from a couple of works. Uh, The first is How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization by Thomas E. Woods. Excellent book. I highly recommend it. Another one is a small booklet that you can get from the Catholic Truth Society called Lumen, L-U-M-E-N, The Catholic Gift to Civilization. And also an online resource you can look at is the Society of Catholic Scientists. It's catholicscience.org, and they have a lot of great resources. It's an organization of, obviously, prominent scientists throughout the world that are Catholic. They have uh, many chapters throughout the world, and they produce a lot of good articles and resources, so uh, I'd, I'd recommend looking at them. So what we're going to do is, I'm briefly just going to summarize the basis for our belief that religion and science can and should go together, and then just give a list of important scientific findings and other contributions in uh, medicine and art and, and things like that that most people are unaware of that came from the church. So yesterday, beginning with the teachings of more recent popes, St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI, we learned that faith and reason are both necessary and kept isolated from each other. They both lead us into error. And also, it's ridiculous to think that science and religion should be opposed because God created the world And he created us with reason, with intellect, so that we can explore the world. So, of course, we're supposed to try to understand the things of this world, to understand their causes. And through knowing the world, we come to see more of God's wisdom. We do not hold any God of the gaps argument where we just believe in God because we can't explain things scientifically. Quite the contrary, the more we understand scientifically, the more we believe in God's wisdom and the beautiful design of the world. In fact, to not believe in God and to hold materialism, that matter is all that exists, and everything is produced through randomness and chaos, really doesn't leave any room for science because there's no reason to believe that there's any order to be discovered. There's no reason to believe that our minds, or our our brains rather, could lead us to the understanding of any truth. So to be an atheistic scientist means that you theoretically hold atheism, but you are inconsistent in practice because you still think that there's order in the world somehow that just uh, developed through chaos, which is a hard case to make. So in listing these contributions to society, to civilization from the church, I'm going to follow the order in the book Lumen, the booklet I mentioned before. And this is a booklet made by Father Andrew Pinsent, who's a priest in England. And just to give you an idea of his credentials, he's the research director of the Ramsey Center for Science and Religion at the University of Oxford. He was a particle physicist at CERN. He's a member of the United Kingdom Institute of Physics. He's a doctorate in physics from Oxford, a doctorate in philosophy, and a degree in theology. So uh, he ain't no dummy. And he says that the reason he focuses on this topic, 
because he said there was a debate on BBC on whether or not the Catholic Church is a force for good in the world, and close to 90% of the audience said that that was not the case. Now this just shows, as we'll see, a, a remarkable lack of knowledge of history. People that are just informed by recent decades of a certain narrative put out by universities, by the media, etc. And so hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll see all of these things that are undeniably the fruit of the union of science and religion that are primarily from the church and that the church is overwhelmingly the principal foundation of Western civilization and the progress of Western civilization. So the first topic, the first area of learning that he lists as a main contribution of the church is cosmology or the cosmos. He says that the Franciscan friar Roger Bacon in the 13th century wrote a work at the request of the Pope at the time, Clement IV, and it was primarily responsible for the science of optics in the West. The first glasses, eyeglasses, were developed after that, and that developed later into the lenses used for telescopes. The Gregorian calendar that is used worldwide was the work of Catholic astronomers, and astrophysics was largely founded by the work of a priest, Angelo Secchi, in the late 19th century. And the biggest name in this area is a Belgian priest, Father Georges Lemaire, who died in 1966, came up with what's one of the most important theories in modern science, that is the Big Bang Theory. His theory was admired greatly by Albert Einstein himself. Of course, speaking about telescopes and cosmology, we have the contributions of Galileo. This situation is greatly misunderstood. Galileo did not come up with any new idea of a heliocentric universe that was already proposed by Copernicus, who was also a Catholic cleric. Galileo even dedicated early on his work to the Pope, who was a patron of his work. Galileo's problem is that he was insisting on teaching as fact what he had yet to prove scientifically. It was not as if the idea was a problem, he just was teaching it as fact when he had not yet proven it. And the final piece of proof wasn't even really discovered until centuries later. So there was a bit of conflict there because he insisted on defying the guidance of the church that he teach it as a theory rather than as a fact. But even so, St. Robert Bellarmine said, hey, if this is proven, then we'll have to adjust uh, our understanding of certain verses of scripture, no problem. And no, Galileo wasn't tortured and imprisoned. He died peacefully in his home and his daughter even became a nun. There's plenty of other contributions in this area by the church, specifically among the Jesuits. Uh, the Jesuit order was founded as not only a missionary order, but also as an academic order. And they produced many, many scientists. There's many uh, celestial bodies that are named after the Jesuit priests that discovered them. But we're limited time, so we'll just keep it to the, the main things listed here by Father Pincent. In terms of the earth and, and natural sciences, you have, of course, coming from the Catholic world, great explorers. And the idea that scientists or, or others only did things because they had to under the patronage of the church is a very cynical attitude. Because, as we said, the idea that the world can be discovered, order can be discovered, is a, is a particularly religious idea. And it would still be hard to understand how all of these scientists grew out of a Catholic culture, right? If Catholic culture is so opposed to science, and in earlier centuries, the Western world was Catholic. There was an integration of the sacred and profane, if you want to put it that way, the religious and the secular, how could it produce so many scientists if the world was so religious? It's hard to explain that. In any case, you have Marco Polo, Henry the Navigator, Bartolomeo Diaz, Christopher Columbus, Magellan, of course, all coming from Catholic ethos. No, Catholics didn't believe the world was flat. This was a later myth invented to smear past ages as, as retrograde and, and stupid. The first scientific map was developed by uh, Diego Ribeiro in the early 16th century. 
Father Nicholas Steno developed the science of reading rock strata, which is fundamental for geology. Jean-Baptiste Lamarck developed the first real theory of evolution. Remember, we talked about how Augustine allowed for it and even had an elementary idea of evolution in his interpretation of the book of Genesis. But Jean-Baptiste Lamarck, early, 20th, or early 19th century rather, had a theory which included the notion of a genealogical tree, the transmutation of species. We also mentioned Augustinian monk Gregor Mendel in our episode on evolution, who founded the science of genetics. Philosophy and theology, it's not necessary to dwell on as much because I think people will allow that the Catholic world dominated these disciplines, but you have the greatest minds in the history of the world, if not just in the history of the West. Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Anselm, Pascal, the list could go on and on. But it's also important to recognize that it's from philosophy and theology, and even the theological discussions of the early ecumenical councils in the early centuries of the church that we get the idea of, say, the human person and a more developed understanding of the will and freedom, and virtues, and good and evil, and natural law, etc. All of these things don't just pertain to philosophy and theology, but they have a role in all other disciplines. In terms of education, the church is the principal patron of education, and primarily responsible for the educational system as we have it now. Now, I'm not talking about like public schools. The church, uh, of course, hates <laughs> the way public schools are now, as do most people with common sense. But in terms of the university system, this grew out of the church. In fact, it grew out of monasticism particularly. Think of when St. Benedict founded the Benedictine order, and it quickly spread throughout Europe. And the monasteries became centers of learning. Right? We know that they copied texts, but they weren't just copying the Bible. They were copying ancient texts, any text of learning, pagan or Christian, from the ancient world or from contemporary times. They wanted to preserve all learning. And because of this, the monasteries became centers of learning. And so people moved, lived around the monasteries. The monasteries became the center of little centers of culture and, and learning throughout Europe. And there were thousands and thousands of them. And people came to the monks to learn. And eventually, instead of monasteries, cathedrals were established because the monks are, they live a life of contemplation. And cathedral schools were established. And out of these, the universities were established. So one can trace the modern system of education and its importance to the church. Now, of course, many of these systems, these institutions of higher education have been corrupted in recent decades or even past century. But it's important to note that the idea of a higher education came from the church. And not only that, the church wanted to provide in the cathedral schools education for anyone, right? Not just upper class or elite, but for everyone. And this is a principle that has carried on into our day and is a obvious benefit. As I said, the early and only universities began in the 11th century, perhaps even earlier, but you had some prominent ones like the University of Bologna in Italy, Paris, Oxford, Salerno, Cambridge, Salamanca, Padua, Naples. There were more than 50 universities in Europe by the middle of the 15th century. And today it's estimated that Catholic schools educate more than 50 million students around the world. And it's interesting that even those who hold that the church is inimical to science and to learning still kind of recognize that Catholic schools are considered on a higher academic level than public schools. Whether or not you hate or love the church, that's a reputation that the Catholic schools have. Now, of course, not every Catholic school is better than every other school, but in general, the Catholic system of education is seen as rigorous and pretty high level. In the area of art and architecture, too, I don't think you'll find much 
argument about the church's contribution, just look at all the incredible buildings and artwork found in Europe primarily. The reason they look the way they do is because of a belief in the incarnation, that the divine can actually be made visible and sensible, and the divine beauty should be enjoyed. And we believe this because of Christ, God who became man. The church architecture and artwork is intended to lift your mind to the reality of God, that through physical beauty, your mind is raised to God, because we are not just souls, but bodies. And so we use our sight and our touch and our other senses to raise our minds to higher things. Every single person can recognize the difference between a gothic cathedral and some abstract twisted piece of steel that you see as art now. There's no dispute that the one is better than the other. They're not seen as equal artistic achievements. Go to any major European city, or even small European city, and you can see the stark contrast between the architecture of old and modern architecture. The latter is really lacking, and it does not inspire awe. Tourists that go to places do not take pictures in front of the modern apartment buildings in European cities. Even if they're atheists, even if they're totally secular, they recognize the beauty of the old architecture, and that is the architecture and artwork that was born out of Catholic culture. In the area of law and jurisprudence, I'll just quote here from Father Pinsent. He says, The reforms of Gregory VII in 1085 gave impetus to forming the laws of the church and states of Europe. The subsequent application of philosophy to law, together with the great works of monks like the 12th century Gratian, produced the first complete systematic bodies of law, in which all parts are viewed as interacting to form a whole. This revolution also led to the founding of law schools, starting in Bologna in 1088, from which the legal profession emerged. Legal principles such as good faith, reciprocity of rights, equality before the law, international law, trial by jury, habeas corpus, and the obligation to prove an offense beyond a reasonable doubt are all fruits of Catholic civilization and jurisprudence. Even though there are other topics that are covered, I'll conclude with the Church's influence on the status of women. So beginning with Mary, of course, whom we consider not only to be the mother of God, but to be the greatest creature God ever made, higher than all the angels, higher than all men, higher than all of the saints the greatest thing that God ever made. There are also other very important and influential women throughout Catholic history, and this was something way before any modern-day movements of feminism and things like that. Aside from all of the women who are considered doctors of the church, that is, great teachers of the church, you have someone like Blessed Hildegard of Bingen in the early 12th century. She was an abbess and a woman of great learning. And some of the first women scientists came from Catholic culture. Trotula of Salerno in the 11th century. Dorotea Bucca in the 15th century. She held a chair in medicine at the University of Bologna. And this is in the early 15th century. Elena Lucrezia Piscopia in the late 17th century. She was the first woman to receive a doctorate in philosophy. And Maria Agnesi, she was the first woman to become a professor of mathematics, and she was appointed by Pope Benedict XIV, and this was in 1750. So any idea that the church is opposed to learning, is not a force for good in the world, oppresses women, suppresses scientists, etc. All of that, all of those ideas just come from an ignorance of history and an ignorance of Catholic culture.